Hey everybody, welcome into the latest edition of the Pokescast, production of the Casper Star Tribune and the Pokes Authority. I am Davis Potter, Wyoming beat writer for the Casper Star Tribune. And I am joined, as I always am, by uh, our Wild Varsity Preps writer, Brady Oltmans, who is on the phone up in Casper. Brady, it's been a minute. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, I think the last time that we did one of these, it was still borderline warm out. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was actually the day after uh, Wyoming's went over Missouri in the season opener. So, Damn, that feels like a lifetime ago, dude. Yeah. I was, uh, yeah, I was a full year younger than I am now. Uh, well, that's not true, but you're a full month younger. <laughs> no, I'm a full. I'm a year younger. I'm pretty sure my birthday was after the Missouri game. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, was it? Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> oh, okay. Well, well ha- happy belated birthday to you, man. No, it's fine. I don't need that. Uh, okay. Um, it's, ar- well, it's already been too long. Uh, well, this this wasn't the plan. Uh, I did not, yeah, uh, expect to go a whole month without. Uh, report recording a podcast here, uh, obviously with football season being in full swing, but uh, it's hard hard to find time with uh, everything going on and some of uh, some projects that we are working on that we have since wrapped up for the most part. But um, we're back now, and hopefully we'll keep this going on a on a weekly schedule uh, from here on out. But uh, Brady, it's uh, since it has been so long, obviously a lot to get to. So let's just just go ahead and dive right into it. Uh, Wyoming is now uh, four and one. Uh, they have played obviously four games since uh, we last uh, recorded a podcast, and um, you know started three and zero. Uh, we're three yards away, I guess you could you could say, uh, against Tulsa uh, from being four and zero. Uh, but Sean Chambers, um, you know, fumbled on, on Wyoming's last possession of that game inside the five yard line, trying to, uh, trying to, uh, you know, get, <clears throat> break some tackles and, uh, get to the goal line. And, um, you know, ultimately, uh, Tulsa recovered and preserved a 24, 21 win that snapped a, uh, seven game winning streak dating back to last season. Uh, but then Wyoming bounced back in a big way in their uh, Mountain West opener last week with a 53-17 shellacking of UNLV at War Memorial Stadium. So, um, Brady, let's we can just go ahead and run through uh, some of the positives and uh, you know some of the negatives uh, through uh, Wyoming's first five games and kind of where they sit. And I guess start with the positives. And the first thing is I think this is – this is exactly where everybody pretty much thought Wyoming would be uh, through five games. Uh, you know, sitting here with a four and one record. You know, after the Mountain West opener um, against a um, let's just say not very good UNLV team at home. Um, you know, most people, you know, including myself, thought that uh, the loss would just be different. Everybody thought that. Uh, you know, they would lose to uh, Missouri and then uh, probably win their next four. But obviously they beat Missouri and then lose to Tulsa. So regardless of uh, how they got there, they're, I think they're right where everybody thought they uh, would be. Um, and now they've got a bye week uh, here, uh, their first bye week of the season to uh, rest up and most importantly for them get healthy uh, before they – uh, return to action on the road October 12th at San Diego State. Uh, that'll be a little bit, just a little bit stiffer competition than what they faced uh, uh, last Saturday. Um, but, uh, you know, I, it's it's interesting now because uh, you are sitting here at 4-1. and one. San Diego State I don't think is, um, you know, a, a game. And I said, you know, I, I talked about this. Uh, you know, even during fall camp and, and maybe in the last podcast we did, but I, I don't think San Diego State is a, a game that Wyoming can't win. Uh, they'll have to play uh, really well to go to San, into San Diego and get out of there with a win. But, you know, if you find a way to win that game, then you come home and play New Mexico. Um, 
which is just a really bad team. Uh, them and San Jose State are probably going to be fighting for the worst record in the in the Mountain West this year. Uh, and then you uh, stay at home the next week and play Nevada, which Nevada, I don't know if that's going to be the team that everybody, including myself, thought that they uh, might be this year, uh, you know, coming off that eight-win season that they had a year ago uh, because they got absolutely annihilated by Hawaii in Reno last week. Uh, I think I think it was I think Hawaii had fifty six points, uh, but it was fifty something to three. Uh, and you know if, if you're Nevada's offense or any offense for that matter, and you're only scoring three points against Hawaii's defense. That's not a good sign. Uh, so I, I Nevada they may be you know breaking into a quarterback there. Um, you know they yeah it, it may be another long season there for uh, Jay Norvell and the Wolfpack. But uh, you know it's it's not inconceivable if you uh, the you know, th- those are two – New Mexico and Nevada, those are two games looking at it at this point that you probably should win at home. Um, that would get you to six wins. And if you're um, – you know, you're – if you find a way to get to uh, – or beat um, San Diego State, uh, you're going into that Nevada game most likely playing for bowl eligibility or securing bowl eligibility, I should say. Uh, you know, looking for a seventh win. And how many times can – Wyoming say that it's playing for bowl eligibility and, and possibly securing bowl eligibility before November even starts. So I think, you know, looking from a big picture uh, standpoint, um, you know, Wyoming, uh, you know, for some of their deficiencies, they're in a really good spot and, uh, you know, have still a, a favorable part of the schedule coming up over these next uh, few weeks. Yeah, no, it, I know we talked before kind of in the preseason about um, – previewing where they would be at this by time and um i think yeah like you said i think we we came up to the consensus that four and one was going to be a really good mark for them granted i believe i don't think either one of us said that um missouri was going to be one of those four wins but that's that's the way the cookies crumbled for them and and i know it's it's been said that this team has just found a way to win and that's kind of true i mean they've just literally done the bare minimum Against Idaho, I joked that they were going to spot them 17 points before coming back and winning, and that's pretty much what they did. Um, when Ultimately, though, that sort of just find-a-way-to-win attitude um, came back to bite them. And Tulsa, you know, they almost did it, but then the, Tulsa ultimately comes back and scores again before Sean Chambers tries to, again, um, bring Wyoming to the brink of a comeback victory, but fumbles reaching out for more yardage. And it's, it is, it's, it's been a highly successful um, non-conference season for them. All things considered with the injuries that they've had. Um, I'm sure, especially against Tulsa, they were just shoot yourself in the foot injuries in like holding calls, but Holding calls tend to happen when you're on your third string offensive lineman in some positions, and yeah. and so they're they're standing at four and one is really encouraging, and I think you know a conference championship, which is their goal, is definitely not out the window. Now, having said that, like you alluded to, the Mountain West is something fierce this year. I mean, it'll at this point it'll kind of cannibalize itself, and we'll see who really is good, but. Nearly every Mountain West team showed out in the non-conference. Um, possibly none better than uh, than Hawaii has now had multiple uh, big games to their credit. Boise is obviously still good. I mean, CSU is not great, but if you put them head-to-head with Wyoming in a rivalry game, records go out the window. South Dakota State is going to be good. They always are. The, I mean, not South, did I say South Dakota? I mean, San Diego State is always good. Um, and they're always going to be tough. Utah State looks good, but obviously we'll um, – I don't know. We won't really know how good they are because they play LSU this week. Um, but they're, but they're still – they're going to be a tough team regardless of how bad the doors get blown off of them in that one. Um, and Air Force has had some really good games so far this year. I mean, it's the, – the stage is set. Air Force is a good team, man. Air Force is a really good team. They've balled out yeah. this year so far. It's so it's tough to tell for sure how good 
the Mountain West is. It looks really strong, at least compared to the other conferences. Um, but as always, you know, a bunch of seven-win, eight-win Mountain West teams, that doesn't look as good as a, a conference with two 10-win teams and an 11-win team, you know, um, yeah. for for whatever that reason is. And it, so Wyoming is in good position. Obviously, they want to get healthy. Um, coming out of the break, especially going into if they can beat if they can get healthy enough to beat San Diego State, that is as big uh, as that Missouri win is. Uh, honestly, yeah. Uh, so it'll be curious to see who how they come out of this bye week. But there's the opportunity is there for them to make big strides, and that's I think that's the next step forward for this program, man. Is just being able to to consistently hit that stride and go into the conference season swinging. Yeah, and San Diego State matchup is is fascinating to me because uh, I think that thing could be a slobber knocker uh, next weekend yeah. because uh, San Diego State is scoring the fewest points in the Mountain West, but they're giving up the fewest amount of points in the Mountain West as well. And I think they're I think they're uh, the leading defense in terms of total yards in the, in the Mountain West, too. So, I mean, that's that's your typical Rocky Long team. You know, physical, um, not the sexiest team, uh, but doesn't beat itself a whole lot. I mean, them and Wyoming are almost mirror images, man. I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if that's a 13-10, to 16-13, um, just, you know, sl- like I said, slobber knocker at, at the end of the day uh, out there in San Diego in a couple weeks. But, yeah, going back, staying with Wyoming um, – you know, the, the, there, there's a handful of things that they've done really well early on in the year. And, you know, it, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see that, uh, you know, they, they're running the ball really well. That is their most effective uh, way of moving the ball and uh, keeping uh, drives alive. Um, you know, I think they are second or third in the Mountain West in, in rushing yards. Um, they had a season high. Last week, I think with 374 against UNLV. I mean, they just – they did whatever they wanted to against uh, UNLV. And, you know, UNLV and, and their head coach, Tony Sanchez, talked last week heading into the game. We know – you know, Wyoming's going to run the ball. We know that. We've got to sack the box and try to make Sean Chambers beat us. And it didn't matter. I mean, they, Wyoming, I think, averaged over seven yards a carry in that game. Um, just completely dominated – both lines of scrimmage, um, but maybe the more impressive thing because that, that's you know that's that, that's Craig Bowles' identity. That that is the identity of this Wyoming team under him is a physical, hard nosed uh, team that that is going to try to pound you into submission on the ground offensively. The most impressive, the more impressive thing to me is how they've been able to hold up against the run with all of the new contributors that they have along that defensive front. Uh, you, you know, when you talk about. Um, five defensive linemen that they lost off their two deep last season, including some of their biggest names, most productive names, Carl Granderson and uh, Johanna Gaffan and, and some of those guys, Kevin Prosser. Uh, but this team has not allowed 100 yards rushing yet this year. Um, obviously, that's five straight games. And I believe going back to dating back to last season, they haven't allowed a team to rush for 100 yards in um, it's either I think seven or seven of the last eight or eight of their last nine games. Uh, Air Force in the uh, in the second to last game last year um, was the is the only team that has rushed for more than a hundred. And uh, I mean, when you're playing Air Force, you just expect that. I mean, if Air, if Air Force is rushing for less than a hundred yards, that's just a no good, really bad day by that offense because that is obviously what Air Force does in that triple option. So um, you know they they've been stout. And those are the two things that you have to do to always uh, – or to win games or to at least give yourself a chance. And that's why I think Wyoming – you know, th- this schedule is – you know, once you get past these next three games, obviously we, we've talked about their schedule in November, it being brutal with uh, road trips to Boise and Utah State and then Air Force to end the year. But they're going to be they're going to be in every game and give themselves a chance because they can they're, – they're able to run the football effectively still as of now – We'll get to that a little bit later, uh, and also because they can stop the run and make and they're making teams one dimensional. Um, so those are obviously two things um, that that you want to do really well, and they're doing really well right now. And, and then turnovers. I mean, turnover their turnover margin is has made all the difference in the world. Uh, you know, they've uh, they've created 
they've had 10 takeaways and they've only turned it over twice. And really I only considered Sean Chambers fumble the only real turnover they've had all year because the other one was at Texas State when they there were like two seconds left before the half and Wyoming had it at the 50 and just, you know, Chambers just threw a Hail Mary. It was kind of like, a, you know, one of those deals where you throw a jump ball in the end zone and see if your guy can come down with it and it ended up getting intercepted. But, I mean, it had no impact on the game whatsoever. Uh, I mean, it was just the last play of the first half. So, really, I mean, yeah, technically they've got two turnovers, but I think they've only got one, you know, in, in, in terms of, um, you know, timely turnovers that, that really ended up costing costing them. So, uh, you know, they're, they're our plus eight in the turnover margin. That's fourth nationally. And if you're taking the ball away that many times and getting that many possessions for your offense, that's obviously that, you know, you're going to, at some point, um, your offense going to be able to cash those in and, and, and score some extra points. Yeah, and it's that, – that's kind of the – we we kind of said coming in, the offense needed to take steps forward, but the defense needs to – uh, the defense needs to find its strength and its spine to hunker down. I mean, we thought the running game would be kind of by committee, the receivers would be improved, and Sean Chambers would be you know free to throw and be dynamic and get yards and all this jazz. And in the defense has kind of always been as it has been under you know previously under Scotty Hazelton, now under new management, that it was going to, you know, hunker down and do things. And that's kind of how it's gone. But, like, I mean, the Tulsa game was almost an app, was almost just too weird um, with the way that the defense has had to constantly be relied upon. That offense just looked anemic against Idaho for a lot of spots. It's It really couldn't do a whole lot against Tulsa. It... That finally broke through and did a whole lot against UNLV, but you know you kind of temper expectations or at least temper results from that one. But it's a, a Craig Bowl team. It the offense is performing similar to what a Craig Bowl team typically is, but the defense has really kind of come into its own um, under him un, under the new management that they have. Um, they've really kind of fortified themselves. Um, all of the missing pieces that they had, you know, coming into the season that we wondered, you know, how are safeties going to look? How is the defensive line going to look um, with all that they were missing? I mean, I think we kind of, we've kind of had those questions answered by now, uh, which to their credit might be Wyoming's biggest step moving forward. And like you said, once they kind of get healthy, that might be the next, the next step. Uh, for this for this program going forward this season, if they want to compete for a conference championship, yeah, and sort of playing off what you just said there, talking about the the defense, um, particularly in that Tulsa game, uh, that transitions into um, what I want to talk about with some of the negatives and some of the things that they've obviously got to get better at, and one of those is is the pass defense and. You know, it, it, it's interesting because you know, this goes back even to the preseason, fall camp, when you when you had Craig Bowl and, and Jake Dickert, who's now the defensive coordinator, you know, kind of wondering aloud if, if this front four with so many new contributors and, and even some experienced guys that were stepping into more prominent roles like a Josiah Hall, who, you know, has played in a, played in a ton of games as a fifth-year senior but had never been a full-time starter um, – you know, they wondered if, if they were going to be able to get pressure with their front four. And I, at times they have been, but but they have relied more on mixing up their looks, mixing up their pressure packages in order to uh, create pressure. And, and it's been high risk, high reward for them because they are, they've already got 20 sacks in five games. That is more than they had all of last season. Uh, but... On the flip side of that, when, when when those blitzes are not getting to the quarterback, or they're and they're getting picked up, or they're just not getting there in time, um, Wyoming has has not been able to uh, you know defend the pass all that well. And really, it's more um, when when they drop into a zone because you know Jake was you know talking to me uh, a couple weeks ago about how he's really liked how they've held up in, in man coverage and um, you know Tyler Hall, man, he has been lights out uh when when he is uh 
you know, matched up one-on-one with somebody. And that was the expectation for him coming in. I mean, it, he's Wyoming's best cover guy, um, a, a really good athlete. And, I mean, he has essentially shut down whoever he has, uh, you know, been assigned to. And um, so th- that's not all that um, surprising. Um, now, obviously, they're missing him right now with – uh, the concussion that he suffered uh, on the very last kickoff in that Tulsa game, and he missed the UNLV game. But, um, you know, they expect him to be back for San Diego State. He's currently going through concussion protocol. But, um, you know, it's it's mainly when the, when they go zone. And, and, you know, when you've got, you know, two – basically two new safeties back there. I know Elijah Halliburton had started um, a handful of games last year. But, um, you know, besides him, you know, you're starting a redshirt freshman at free safety and Rome Weber and behind him is a – a junior in Braden Smith who had just had not played a whole lot before this year. And, uh, you know, all their other guys are, are really young. And so they're still trying to figure that out. There's some miscommunication sometimes. And um, so, you know, they, they've got to get that short up uh, defensively. Um, UNLV wasn't the team to expose that. Uh, you know, the UNL team was – or UNLV was the second – uh, leading rushing team in the Mountain West coming into that game. They had the Mountain West leading rusher on a per-game basis in Charles Williams. So they were going to try to run the ball. And then Wyoming just hit him with an onslaught and in that second quarter. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Armani Rogers got hurt, and they had to make the quarterback change to try to catch up. And uh, they really got out of their element what they wanted to do, and Wyoming could really just pin its ears back. So, um, you know, looking ahead, I, I, I'm not necessarily sure San Diego State is going to be that team that can – um, you know, really hurt them through the air either, because uh, as we mentioned, they're they're a really physical team that likes to run the ball, play defense. Um, so I, I don't know really the next time they'll really be tested. I mean, San Diego State, we'll we'll see. You know, San Diego State's sort of gone to a little bit more of a spread uh, with mixed results at this point. You know, like I mentioned, that they're scoring the fewest points in the Mountain West, so it hasn't uh, hasn't really happened for them yet. Um, it just in terms of of, of producing more than they did uh, in previous seasons under Rocky Long and that side of the ball. Um, but obviously that's something they've got to improve on. But the biggest thing for this team, um, if they're going to reach their potential this year, is Sean Chambers in this passing game. Um, it, it's got to be better. They are next to last in the country in completion percentage. Wyoming is completing thirty less than 37% of its passes. Um and, you know, the, the thing is, you know, I mentioned earlier about I would talking about the running game. You know, teams are already putting eight, seven, eight, even sometimes nine men in the box because there's just not a whole lot of respect for, um, you know, Sean Chambers' ability to uh, hurt them through the air or or this receiving core and, and its ability to, to get separation and catch the ball consistently because – Look, um, yeah, Sean Chambers has been inconsistent this year throwing the ball, but it's not all on him. Man, this receiving core is is how sort of, you know, fans probably watch this team and are, are having flashbacks to last season when there just was not a whole lot of consistency, uh, way too many drops. Um, so, so it's sort of a, you know, it's it's a group effort in terms of trying to improve this, this pass offense. And, you know, when teams are doing that, stacking the box – um, and playing really no high safeties. I mean, there were times against Idaho and even Tulsa, I mean, where I looked, and you could probably count on one hand the amount of times that Tulsa and Idaho in particular uh, had a deep safety back there. I mean, it, it just – it was rare. And and I was sort of surprised that at UNLV's game plan because there were a lot of times UNLV had two deep safeties. And you're sitting there going, well, you know, what has Wyoming done to, to justify doing that? I mean, they, you, you, you knew what Wyoming was going to do. They ran the ball down their throat, and I don't know. It just seemed like they they uh, had had a different game plan than anybody else. And, you know, it was particularly strange when, you know, they talked about it. You know, Tony Sanchez and some of their players talked about, you know, the fact that they needed to load the box and try to get make Wyoming beat them. But, um, you know, you, you've got to – when teams do that, though, you, you've got to be able – uh, to make them pay for that. And Wyoming is get a, getting a lot of man-to-man coverage because they're these teams are putting the, you know 8 9 people in the box sometimes and the, and if they're uh you know and other times they're just strictly run blitzing. So, so that leaves, you know, safeties and corners on an island out there and 
And you've got to be able to make them pay. You've got to be able to loosen them up. And, look, Wyoming's not going to be a great passing team. They may not even be a good passing team. But the, the thing is they run the ball so well that they don't have to be. Man, they, if, you, if they can just be decent, if Sean Chambers and this receiving core um, can help him – uh, you know, complete just half of his passes. If he if he can complete fifty percent, and and really that's not even that good of a rate. Um, you know it, that could, that's going to do wonders because at least at that point you you're making teams respected. At least they have to think about it. And right now, there's they just don't even have to think about it a whole lot because um, you know there are times where uh, you know they, he's got open throws and and he's either just missing him or he, his receivers are dropping him. Uh, now, I will say that uh, he has played consider- considerably better, Sean Chambers has, uh, ever since he got benched briefly uh, in the, at the beginning of the second half against Tulsa. Uh, he came back uh, when he was put back into the game in the third quarter, uh, led them on, on two touchdown drives, and was leading them on a, on a potentially a third one uh, before the fumble at the end of that game. And then he accounts for four touchdowns, including two passing touchdowns, um, against UNLV, and one of those was one of those instances that we I've been alluding to, where they ran the ball 17 straight times, and then did a, a beautiful, well timed, well executed pass to Josh Harshman down the middle of the field, and and nobody was around him. He was wide open, and all he had to do was, you know, float it up to him and turn into a 56 or 54 yard touchdown, whatever it was. But you know, it, when you have opportunities through the passing game that you're going to have when you're Wyoming, you've got to take advantage of that. Otherwise, you know, when you run into some of these better defenses that you're going to see, uh, you know, in the, in the second half, latter half of your schedule, um, you know, they're, those they're going to stack the box too, and they're, they're not going to miss some tackles like UNLV did. They're not going to be out of place the way UNLV was. Um, you know, this schedule is only going to get harder. You know, one, really once you get past uh, New Mexico – here in a couple of weeks, um, you know, this schedule stiffens significantly. And 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 I, I talk about this from the standpoint of, yeah, Wyoming could probably use – they can use this formula to get bowl eligible. Like, they, they can run the ball, complete a pass every once in a while, play solid defense, particularly against a run. And against this schedule, they, they can get to seven and five. But there's not one player uh, or even one coach that I've talked to going back to fall camp or even the off season or even the spring that has mentioned that, you know, just getting to bowl eligibility is the goal. That's what we want to do. Not one of them has said that. You know what they've all said? We believe this team is capable of competing for a Mountain West championship. And if you're going to do that, you've, you've got, you've got to be better uh, in the passing game with, with whether it's Sean or his receivers, it's, it's a collective effort, man. They, they've got to be better, um, so that they're not so one-dimensional against the better teams, against the better defenses they're going to see. Because that's really, um, you know, against the better competition, that's that's what's holding them back. And you, you mentioned even the Tulsa game. Tulsa's got a good defense, and I don't I don't know what Tulsa – we'll see what they end up being, uh, you know, towards the latter end of the year, if they're, if they're a lot better than the three wins they had last year. Um, but their court, the quarterbacks win a combined 10 for 31 in that game. And – you know, you, you finished plus two, I think, plus two or plus three in the turnover margin that game. And, you know, before the fourth quarter, you had seven points. And, it, I mean, it's – and the passing game is the reason. And, to, and you know, because they could not loosen up Tulsa's offense, they didn't rush for many yards. So it's going to be interesting to see, particularly against the better defenses, if they're still going to be able to rush for 200, 250 yards a game. I mean – you know, I don't see that working. If, if they if they can't uh, get you know find more of a rhythm and, and and complete more passes to loosen up some of these defenses, I, I don't see that happening. I mean, I, I think this the rushing attack is, is going to um, steadily decline. We'll see. Maybe Wyoming's offensive line is just that good, but at a certain point, it becomes simple math. You know, if even in Wyoming's jumbo packages, you know, if you're keeping seven guys in the block, but the defense is bringing eight guys, you can't block all of them. And it's just it's going to be interesting to uh, see going forward how you know how this passing game does if they try to incorporate some different things, get Sean more comfortable, get him in some situations where you know maybe some more run pass options, things like that, where uh, you know you can get some easy completions, get him in a rhythm. Um, look, Sean is still a young player, and I, 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 there's no doubt. I, I think he 
he can throw the ball. I think he'll get better, um, you know, in, in terms of, of, of his accuracy, his touch. I mean, people forget, man, it's, you know, he's only played and started in seven full games at this point of his career. I know, he, you know, he's been the starter ever since, you know, the eight games in the last season, basically nine games in the last year. But this is a guy who, you know, was – you know, did not throw a lot in high school, and now he's he's still sort of finding his way and trying to get comfortable uh, in, in Wyoming's passing game. So, um, you know, I, I think it will come with time, but, you know, right now this is sort of where it's at, and it, it, it's it, it's got to be better. It doesn't have to be great. It doesn't even have to be good, man. If, if this passing game can just be decent and make teams – at least think about the threat of the pass and at least make defenses respect them. I think that's going to make all the difference in the world. And if they can't, I don't know if this team with its November schedule is going to get past uh, seven wins this year. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, it's a, it's half of an offensive phase of the game. You run or you pass. And if you can't do it consistently, teams are just going to scheme entirely, load the box and stuff you. And that's something Wyoming has gotten by, sometimes by the skin of their teeth, just by that alone. And the problem is is that they're going to face higher stakes games, some better quality opponents, better than Idaho, than, and they're going to need to be a full, complete team and be better than they have been in order to win a conference championship. So that's as simple as that. They're going to need to be better than they have been if they want to achieve their goals. And it's and absolutely, like you said, it starts with getting Sean Chambers on the rollout or where he's able to make plays. And please, please having receivers that are able to, to haul in those passes and be able to move the ball consistently down the field. Yeah. Um, th- there was one catch, uh, and I should note this, um, because th- this, w- this was the kind of catch that – uh, Wyoming's receivers you know, should make and need to make more often. But um, there was one time late in that game, or I think third quarter maybe, um, where they they did a they dropped back and and UNLV brought uh, they they brought a blitz. I'm sure expecting a run, and uh, Austin Conway was one on one and Sean threw it and in the vicinity, but it was a little high. And you know Austin Conway's not a big guy; he's about five ten, five eleven. And he went up and soared and and uh, pulled it down with two hands uh, to get them inside the twenty. And that that those are the kind of plays. Yes, would you would you as a as a receiver would you love every um, you know pass to be you know right in your numbers where you don't have to you know jump up or reach down below your knees or behind you to catch it? Sure, absolutely. But realistically, that's not the case, man. You you know quarterbacks need their receivers to help them out, and that was that was an example of. I mean, I remember when when I saw that pass because I I thought, oh, that's high. That he's not going to come down with that. And he he went up and snatched it, man. And, and once he came to the ground, I remember thinking, that's the kind of playmaking ability that this receiving core is lacking consistently. And those are the kind of plays they they, they need to make and, and and help their quarterback out with more often. So, um, you know, obviously we'll we'll, we'll kind of see what it looks like um, going against uh, San Diego State, a, a stingy defense and what it looks like the rest of the year. But um, another thing that's uh, sort of a negative right now for them is, is the injuries that we've alluded to. I, I talked about Tyler Hall, but you know, Logan Harris went down with the scary concussion. Um, fortunately for him, that that's all it was. Because at the time, you know, when he took that blindside block against Tulsa and, you know, had to be carried out of that stadium in an ambulance and briefly hospitalized, that was a, that was a scary deal. But, um, you know, he's obviously dealing with a pretty – serious concussion and he, he's going through concussion protocol and then uh josiah hall hurt, hurt his arm in practice and um you know hasn't played the last two weeks um and then uh xavier valade he he's been battling an ankle sprain but i think he's getting back closer healthier and healthier and uh got his most extended uh carries um you know against uh, unlv uh since early in the season but uh, yeah, Craig Bull actually said this week that, um, or midweek, I should say, that uh, he expects Tyler Hall and Logan Harris to be back um, against San Diego State. Uh, Alonzo Velasquez is another one 
Um, offensive, their right tackle who uh, hurt his knee against Tulsa and, and missed the uh, UNLV game, but he practiced midweek and um, you know should probably should should be back uh, against San Diego State. So um, you know, they, <laughs> really good time for them to have their uh, first uh, bye week of the season, giving them a chance to really heal up, and, and they should have a lot of these uh, a lot of these guys back uh, for the San Diego State game. Yeah, no, it's. Like I can't remember who I was talking to the other day, but I think they asked me what Wyoming's biggest um, priority is in the bye week, and I said, well, the biggest thing is something that they really don't have a lot of control over, and that's just simply get healthy. And um, and I, I know you wrote a piece about it, and we've spoken kind of agnosium um, since the UNLV game about it, but plain and simple, it's, it's just going to take getting healthy. And again, if Wyoming wants to make – a run at the conference championship, they're going to have to be as close to 100% as they can be. So getting those guys back is a big step in that direction, plain and simple. Absolutely. So, yeah, Wyoming is, uh, you know, set up about what everybody thought they'd be after the first five games. And, uh, you know, they get some of these guys back and, and, and healthy again. Uh, we'll set up for uh, an interesting uh, – second half of the season to just see exactly uh, what this uh, what this team ends up accomplishing. But, uh, Brady, we can go ahead and take a break there. And then uh, when we come back, we will uh, transition into um, the biggest topic in uh, college sports this week. California Senate Bill 206, which if you have been living under a rock this week, um, this is the bill that has obviously been passed in California legislature. It was signed by California's governor earlier this week. Uh, It is better known as the Fair Pay to Play Act, which makes it legal for uh, college student athletes uh, to profit from their name, image, and likeness. Um, Brady, there's a lot of different ways and different avenues we could go down <laughs> with this thing. I mean, we could talk about this for um, two weeks straight if we wanted to, if not longer. But um, let's just sort of hit on some of the key points of this, I guess. And then I want to talk a little bit about how it might affect Wyoming. First of all, uh, this th- – the, the bill in California will not go into effect until 2023. So there, I'm sure the NCAA is going to, well, I'm not sure I know the NCAA is going to fight this because they want to protect this um, facade that they believe is amateurism in college athletics. And so there's no telling what legal ramifications this will have. Uh, the litigation that might come from this and how long this is in the court system. I mean, that's who knows, man. I mean, th- this could go on forever, but it does sort of give you a, uh, a timeline, uh, you know, with four years um, from now. I, I mean, the NCAA has got to, at least it makes it to, to a, a, a point where the NCAA at least has to act sometime in the next four years and not drag this on forever and ever uh, if they're, or when they decide to, ultimately uh, uh, fight this, but, um, I, I, you know, I hear a lot of different things and I've heard a lot of different things. 
you know, opinions on this ever since this, this bill was signed. And, um, you know, one of the biggest things I hear is, well, it's going to, it's going to create a divide between, you know, the, 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 the rich, the rich schools and the poor schools. The rich are only going to get richer and all the, all the, you know, blue chip prospects are going to, you know, the boosters are going to, you know, be paying them to come to their school uh, and paying them more to come to their school. And it's only going to create a wider divide between the rich and the poor. Brady, what two teams have played in the last three or four national championship games in football? Oh, oh boy. I One would say two programs with probably the top 10, if not the top five booster programs and wealthiest boosters um, in the country. So, okay, you didn't say it. Uh, I'll say it. <laughs> Alabama and Clemson. Okay. They, they've been right. They have played or won in what three, four the last national championship games. Um, there are Power Five conferences and Group of Five conferences. There, the those Power Five conferences, the Pac-12, the Big Ten, the Big Twelve, the ACC, and the SEC are Power Five conferences for a reason. The NCAA Board of Directors voted to give those conferences autonomy to create their own rules a handful of years ago, where you know, they can create their own, those schools can create their own rules when it comes to uh, how much they're going to give and their cost of attendance stipend. Uh, they can determine their own recruiting rules to an extent. They control, they have their own rules. They play by their own rules. It, what I'm, and in other words, what I'm saying is there's already that divide. There's been that divide forever. It's the same reason that we've talked about uh, the idea that. You know, there probably needs to be serious consideration for a group of five playoff and a power five playoff in college football. Because we've talked, we've had the, the UCF debate. You know, they can go undefeated every year. They're not sniff. They're not coming close to sniffing the top four. Uh, you know, we, we've had me and you have had the debate about whether they should have scheduled Florida or not. I think that if they had if they scheduled a top ten, top fifteen team, uh, beat them and ran the table and had another undefeated season. I think that would probably be enough, but the one area, the one part of that argument where I will tend to, where I tend to agree with you some is I can't say for sure that it would, and it might not. So at that point, you know, if, if a group of five team playing even a ranked team and going undefeated, it's still not going to get them, you know, sniffing the top four, then what's the point of it? Have a group of five playoff, have a power five playoff. They're, it, there's already a divide, and there always will continue probably to be a divide. There's too much money in this thing to uh, you know consider all these teams equals. They're not equals. They're not on a level playing field. So that that's one aspect of this that I when people say it's only going to create a divide or a further divide, like that divide is already wide. That gap is already wide. Like it's that that's not change. This bill is not going to change that. And boosters are, you know, a local car dealership or whoever, local business that wanted to, you know, pay a kid, uh, you know, the starting quarterback or the starting point guard uh, $50,000 or $100,000. That's not, that's not going to change that because the boosters at the richer schools are the only ones that are really going to be able to afford that. It's, you know, they, you know, people want to act like this is some new revelation. I should, I should say some people, not all people. Some people are realistic about what's going on in college athletics. You know, this stuff's been going under the going on under the table forever. That now they're just legally going to bring it to the forefront and put it on the table, where people aren't you know having to you know fill shoeboxes full of cash and, and give it to players to you know get the best players to their school. So that's that's not changing. And then another thing that I hear a lot about this is is you know bringing in Title Nine. Well, you know, is volleyball and you know tennis players aren't gonna uh, be offered or have the same chance to make the same amount as, as basketball or football players. While that may be true to an extent, this doesn't have anything to do with Title IX. This is this is open to, to everybody. This is strictly endorsements that uh, you know players can can enter into and get and get paid for. So, you know, a, a volleyball player or a uh, a female swimmer or a tennis player can go you know host a camp and get paid for that. The same way that a football player or a basketball player, um, you know, can be featured on a local car dealership's billboard or in a local car dealership's commercial, uh, you know, it at that point, it, it it's it's 
it's fair. It's open market. It's, you know, you're worth what somebody says you're worth and what somebody is willing to pay you. Now it, is it going to, is it going to be the same amount of money for, uh, you know, a volleyball player or a uh, tennis player as for a football player or a basketball player? No, probably not. But that doesn't preclude you from getting some sort of amount of money. You can get, everybody can get paid in this, you know? So, um, you know, that doesn't, you know, it's not, it's not, uh, excluding anybody. Uh, if somebody wants to, uh, you know, bring, you know, feature a volleyball player, tennis player, a soccer player, uh, on a commercial, um, they can do that. It's, you know, whoever they want. And that's why I say again, it's, uh, you know, it's free market. It's, it's, it's whatever somebody says you're worth is, is what you're worth. And everybody, everybody can make a certain amount of money. Um, so this doesn't really have anything to do with, with title nine and, uh, you know, whether somebody can actually has, has the chance to get money. Um, you know, every, this is open to everybody. So, um, those are sort of the, the first two things, uh, or the two main things that I look at and I, I don't really buy those, those arguments when I hear them from people. No, uh, honestly hearing the title nine argument kind of angers me to be honest with you because, um, how pro- how profitable is the NFL? How profitable is college football? What is what is the closest thing to a professional women's sport? It's it's the WNBA. That is the most successful women's sport in this country. And granted, this summer and into this fall, we've seen a push for the NWSL to be more successful after, you know, the women's US national team wins yet another World Cup and America falls in love with these strong women who just want to play this sport professionally like so many of their male counterparts can do for a living i the whole well women won't get treated the same what the hell do you call it this current system what in the world do you call this system that we live in now you call this equality this it's ridiculous the only reason why you could possibly make the case that women and men in college sports right now are being treated equal is because they both get nothing and that's obscene. The con- the concept of that is insanity in the first place. So if if you want to make the case of, well, women wouldn't be treated the same, well, you know where that starts? That starts with you. That starts systemically. This, I Granted, I come from Nebraska, and Nebraska's volleyball team has sold out, like holds the, the nation's longest sellout streak because volleyball is like a cult in there. I mean, if... If you've ever been to the Vatican and are Catholic, you kind of know what being a volleyball fan in Nebraska is like. So it's it's so – it may be my background and my experience to it skews a little bit and thinks that, you know, the people who are really passionate about it are going to find a way to include women's sports and are going to find a way to to pay women or include women's athletics as much as the men's. But – Maybe, and maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I maybe most fan bases just don't really care about women's sports, and don't really care about equality. Well, that doesn't sound like reason to not do this. That sounds like a reason to confront just the inequality and ineptitude of the system itself. So that's that's a problem. And in what other a, a case that we constantly hear for capitalism is, you know, let the free market dictate, let people have make profits off of their <coughs> their likeness or their skills or their abilities. People people should be able to be paid what they're worth, and that's the beauty of capitalism. Not all people are created equal. You should be able to get what you're worth. Well, they're these kids that are making billions. That's billions with a B dollars for this for this governing body in the NCAA are not getting paid at all for it. They're not seeing anything yeah. in rep- in re- in retention for their labor and their hard work and their extra hours that they spend on this. That is insane. Yeah. It's completely ridiculous and something has to change. If people have a problem with this current bill, great, let's go to the the table. Let's talk about this. Let's see what the real step forward is, but d- d- don't get me started I've already talked about inequality between all the teams before. I don't want to get into that again. But if you if you want to have a conversation about what what the next step forward is, let's have that conversation. 
But let's not throw this bill away and just cast aside and call it lunacy because what is absolutely idiotic is the system in place now, and it needs to change. Yeah, and one, one thing um, I need to – that should be noted and clarified about this bill is that this is – this is strictly – um, paying student athletes uh, for their name, image, and likeness by third parties, by a car dealership, by a a, a camp. You know, if someone wants to host a camp for for kids, they get paid for that. The, the, the school cannot cannot pay them. They can't. You know, players cannot get a cut um, if if they're you know if they're featured in a promo video shot by the school or you know used in. And a promo video tweeted out on Twitter, um, you know they they can't they don't get a cut of that. This is there, there's no way that they can um, make money um, from the school, or that the, the school would have to uh, you know pay out of its own pocket and would be paying the athletes directly. That's that's not what this is. This this bill um, forbids that. Um, so th- this is strictly being paid. Um, you know, again, th- through third parties. So I think that that should be clarified. And, um, you know, I don't, you know, that's a whole another discussion for another day, um, for another time. But, um, you know, I, I don't know, man. It's because, uh, I mean, th- this whole idea of, of, of amateurism in, in college athletics, I think it, it's, a, it's a farce, man. When you've got, when you've got coaches making millions of dollars, uh, even even you know Mountain West level and, and Group of Five level, um, and you and, and then you've got you know obviously like coaches like Davis Wayne, Nick Saban making you know nearly nine ten million a year. Uh, you've got you know schools making you know millions and you know at some of the bigger schools hundreds of millions of dollars uh, in profit in their athletic department, and you've got the NCAA making one point one one point two billion dollars. You can't sit there with a straight face and, and look at those numbers and say this is an amateur sport. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. They're making um, millions and sometimes billions of dollars off athletes who uh, only get a scholarship. And I'm not I'm not trying to, to devalue um, a college education. Uh, you know that that is a lot of money for people. But you know, at some schools, you're over four years. I mean, you're talking you know probably at Wyoming even. Um, you know, you're talking anywhere from probably forty to sixty thousand uh, dollars over a four year span, and then with an athletic department that, as of last year, at the beginning of this year, I should say, had a um, budget of forty million dollars. I mean, that, that's a drop in the bucket, and you know, at, at the very least, some these kids, if somebody is, is um, you know, wants to use a kid's uh, name his image, his likeness, you ought to be able to get a cut of that. And this is the first step into that. Um, and already there are other states that are uh, taking action on this. Uh, Florida, I know some of their um, politicians have already come out and said that they're going to uh, you know, support this bill uh, or a similar bill. Minnesota, there's been uh, politicians there that have come out and said the same thing. It's going to be interesting to see um, which other states – uh, you know, become a part of this, which leads me into how this could directly affect Wyoming. Obviously, California is a big recruiting territory and part of their uh, recruiting footprint for all of their programs. You know, if, you know, if, if this thing ultimately passes in California and this, this becomes a bill and this is enacted in, in 2023 and becomes a thing, uh, well, you know, if, if you've got a, you offer a kid in California or, you know, just look, you know, it doesn't even have to be in California, uh, just over, offer a kid and you're recruiting footprint who's considering schools in California, um, you know, and, and they're, they're down to Wyoming and Fresno state. And, you know, that kid says, well, I can go to Fresno state and possibly get paid outside of my scholarship, uh, to go there. Or I can go to Wyoming and get nothing out of my scholarship. Well, I'm going to go to Fresno State. That's directly going to affect some of Wyoming's recruiting. Now, to what extent? I don't know because, you know, I'm not sure that Wyoming really recruits or or any Mountain West program, almost for that matter, uh, recruits the kind of athlete 
where that knows going in day one as a true freshman, a la a Zion Williamson at Duke or, or any of these blue chair prospects that, that go to these power five schools um, that know they're going to, there's going to be a bidding war for their services basically. And they know day one, they're going to, you know, they're, they're going to have three or four car dealerships or, or, you know, this booster over here, that booster over there, um, willing to pay him 50,000, a hundred thousand, 200,000, uh, you know, to, to be in, to put him on a billboard or shoot a commercial. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't think Wyoming doesn't recruit that many kids like that. And a lot of Mountain West schools don't either. Um, so I, I don't know on the front, on if it would, if it's going to make that much of, of an, a difference, uh, when they're recruiting, uh, some of these kids that aren't really, you know, a lot of these kids, two, three-star recruits, um, that don't really have that star power the minute they get on campus. It would at Wyoming and, and other sc- Mountain West schools, it'd probably have to be a deal where, um, you know, like an like a, a Logan Wilson or even a Sean Chambers or somebody that eventually becomes that becomes sort of a star player and established player before some schools, uh, or I shouldn't say schools, some some boosters or a, a car dealership or a local business or whoever start coming after them and, and want to feature them um, as part of their advertising. But, um, you know, up front, there's going to be a lot of kids, you know, that think that have that mindset of, Hey man, I, I'm going to go to the school in California. Cause I'm going to get paid. Like, I'm, I'm going to be in this commercial. I'm going to do this. Uh, so, you know, that very well at the very outset of the recruiting, um, <laughs> even if they, if that ends ends up not being uh, realistic for a recruit. You know, if, if just just the idea or just the possibility that I can go to a school in California and and it can be legal for me to uh, make money, you know, uh, signing an autograph or being in a commercial or on a billboard, then, uh, you know, that they're probably going to choose uh, schools in California over, over Wyoming or, you know, any other Mountain West schools that aren't in California. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be fascinating to, to sort of see, uh, you know, again, what other states sort of, re, re, if they're proactive in this and react swiftly and try to um, follow California's lead and, and Florida and Minnesota um, to sort of level the playing field. Because right now this is a it's a distinct recruiting advantage uh, for, for California. Yeah, the, the one thing that kind of in, intrigues me about the whole thing is it's the transfer portal has gotten a little bit more attention in the last two years or so but it's really interesting to me to think of like what is this going to do for guys who want to transfer you know like number one is obviously playing time guys that think that they can but guys who think that they're legitimate starters with NFL you know top 15 draft prospects that get benched for some other person and they immediately just leave school thinking that you know I'm gonna go start somewhere else and that's what's curious to me because now you've got guys with some prestige on their name coming in like national prestige on a name coming in to a new program um not really to like the extent of like uh Trey Smith you know grad transfer from Louisville stepping into Wyoming but You've got guys who will play a couple of games at a, you know a major D one school, and then they'll either go to you know like we talked about with Missouri and like like it gets talked talked about constantly. What happens when yeah. you know do kids even think about that if they're trying to go to a place that they think that they can start and play and win a championship and get big you know spotlights at? Are they thinking, well, I'm going to go here too because um, it's a big market and I can get I can get coin if I go there. I can, you know, I'm going to make big bucks in the pros. Do I sacrifice maybe a good draft spot here just to get paid a little bit more in college? You know, it's that's that's the interesting yeah. part to me. And and some of these kids are, you know, they're, they're still teenagers, so they're making big. I mean, it is consequential decisions for their future but like what other teenager is teenagers their age are also making consequential decisions but just not multi potentially multi-million dollar repercussions attached to them so the 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 kind of transfer portal and the 
the college waiver wire, if you want to call it that, is kind of the one that I that I think makes this all the more interesting. Um, not to say that it's good or bad with the bill itself, but that's another thing that might get kind of scrutinized or get attention brought on it more so than it already does. So, but that's just the nature of college football, man. It's a big money market, a big cash cow for the NCAA. So every single facet and every single change about it is going to be scrutinized because it's all about the money, man. And it's about damn time that the guys actually playing the game and because without them, there wouldn't be a game and schools wouldn't make money. So it's about time these kids got a little piece of that coin, yeah. you know? Yeah, and on that note, uh, the Mountain West has not responded uh, to uh, the signing of this uh, bill. Uh, Craig Thompson hasn't put out a statement or, or, or said anything about it, which kind of surprises me. But um, I did see where the NCAA put out a statement, and there's uh, there's been you know people in the NCAA that have talked about, well, we, we might um, you know dissociate. Um, you know, the, the California schools from the NCAA, uh, that's, or threatened to do that. And that, that's, that's just a joke, man. I mean, that's, that, cause you, you know, what plays into, uh, their billion dollar revenue, uh, TV contracts, TV markets. Um, Los Angeles is one of, if not the biggest, I don't know if it's bigger in New York, but you know, you've got obviously USC, UCLA, uh, you got Cal, you got Stanford, um, and then obviously you know some of the Mountain West schools, Fresno and San Jose. There's no way that, that that's that's too beneficial for them. That 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 money is too lucrative in in those markets um, for them to even pretend like they want to threaten to uh, you know disassociate those California schools from the NCAA. Like that's, I mean, to me that I just found that hilarious that they would actually think people were that stupid to think that oh well we can we're just gonna associate from them and we'll see how they like it. Like, no, that it, as you mentioned, it's all about money. Those markets are too valuable. There's too much money in those markets. Um, and then also, I mean, the, the bigger schools that I named, you know, USC, UCLA, Cal, Stanford, they're all in the Pac-12. You disassociate with them, you're basically going to disintegrate the whole Pac-12. That, you know, that there's no way that happens. So I, I, I just thought that was fun. I just thought that was funny. Yeah, no, not a single soul should have or ever did believe that that noise and that nonsense. Because you want to, it's it, it's just them saying like, "Well, we don't we don't need you. We don't. You exist because of them. You, yeah. I mean, you're the governing exactly. body, but without them, you are nothing. It, like exactly. It's it, it to a lesser extent. It's kind of like you know we're doing this. I don't know. I I was working on my Black 14 story and and stuff today, and it was like, in, including the Missouri thing and the Missouri, the group of Missouri football players that said we're not going to play uh, or practice until you know the president is out after this. And it didn't take long after that that the the president in fact left this you know resigned from his position. But like, how are you gonna how are you gonna play or practice without like these prominent football players on the team? Like, how are you yeah. going to th- – We again, we talk about getting paid. As of right now, the real power that these players have isn't, you know, monetary to them. It's monetary to the institutions. And without them, the institutions make little. So it behooves the school to let these kids play. And for the NCAA to come out and say some stupid crap like that of like, you know – we're we're gonna kick them out of our institution uh, in all this. Like, man, I don't know. Mark Emmert's the stupidest person on the planet, um, <laughs> and I, allegedly, sure. allegedly, because he's got the money to to bring the hammer down on old Brady. But um, I don't know. I think he the the guy looks like a clear gummy bear. Um, allegedly, that's allegedly. I can't remember who said that, but it's people are saying it. I'm hearing it. Um, I don't know. That's all I got for that for that whack dude. I don't. I'm not going to waste any more of my breath on his stupid words. Yeah, this thing is going to. Uh, it's going to be a while till uh, <laughs> there's some uh, final word on this. Is yeah, the NCAA is going to fight this, and I'm sure there's going to be some litigation and probably go to court and. All that good stuff over uh, the next four years, if not sooner. So, obviously, something definitely to uh, keep an eye on. Anyway, Brady, we've uh, 
we've talked uh, almost an hour, so I, I think we can go ahead and uh, wrap it up there. I, I will mention that uh, uh, I will, uh, or I am working on a story about this bill and how it might affect uh, Wyoming's recruiting. Uh, I've talked to uh, Craig Bowl about this and uh, Wyoming basketball coach Alan Edwards and uh, athletic director Tom Berman and even some players about this. So I'll, there'll be a story coming um, on that this weekend. But be sure to uh, stay locked in to uh, trib.com and postauthority.com for uh, complete coverage, even during this bye week. Um, leading up to uh, Wyoming's next football game uh, against San Diego State on October 12th. Uh, basketball has started practice, and it's hard to believe that uh, their first game um, is less than a month away. So uh, we will start rolling out some uh, basketball coverage as well. Um, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook uh, at Post Authority and at Wild Varsity. You can follow me on Twitter uh, at Davis E. Potter. You can also follow Brady on the Twitter machine at Brady Altman's. Uh, this podcast is on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. So be sure to uh, follow along, uh, like it, download it, give us that five-star rating. Uh, Brady, I appreciate uh, you coming on and uh, talking with me as usual. And uh, as I mentioned in the open, to uh, get back on a more weekly schedule with this. So I appreciate uh, all of you for jumping on and listening, and uh, we will talk to you again next week.